0: welcome to the Totally Buggin' podcast, the podcast about all things creepy
1: crawly. We're your host organisms, Kami and Faith. So today we're going to be talking about a seminar that I went to recently and um, a little bit of the broad aspects of what this seminar was about. And I'm very excited to talk about it because it was the first seminar I've ever been to.
0: And I am so bummed that I had class at the same time as the seminar because Faith invited me, but I couldn't go. So this will be the first time I'm hearing about it as well.
1: You would have, I feel like you would have liked it.
0: I'm sure I would have.
1: So the, I guess, title of the seminar is Chemical Cues Linked to Risk, Cues from Below-Ground Natural Enemies Enhance Plant Defenses and Influence Herbivore Behavior and Performance. Okay, that's a lot of words. Can you kind of
0: explain what, can you break that title down for us? What exactly are we going to be talking about today?
1: So the first part of what we're going to be talking about is a chemical cue, and that is a compound that is very specific and can be wildly different from species to species that are essential for ecological interactions. And I like to think of them as smells because that's essentially what they are. They're like smells and pheromones, like things that bugs, I would say utilize more than we do. Like smell is definitely a big one of our senses, but um, insects use it more to navigate. There's also lots of different chemical cues. Like there are chemical cues from prey insects, from predator insects. There are chemical cues from plants, which I had no idea that like plants have smells like just normal leafy plants not like flowers I was about to say you've never heard about stopping to smell the flowers no I've smelled flowers but um she was talking about normal vegetable plants which like I don't think they have much of a smell or at least like the leaves don't have much of a smell so I found that interesting that yes they do in fact have different smells for insects
0: okay so what it sounds like you're describing to me is chemical ecology. Oh, yeah. Which is a field that studies the interactions between chemicals and in the environment and other different living things. Mm-hmm. So the lab that I work in, we technically do a lot of chemical ecology. Yeah. I study how pesticides are used to provide chemical signals to pollinators mm-hmm. that end up interfering with their biological functions. Mm-hmm. So that's one subset of chemical ecology outside of what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a great
1: example and kind of introduction to that sort of subfield. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. um, we'll definitely get into how this talk specifically was a good introduction. But now we're going to break down the next part, which are cues from below ground natural enemies. So, below ground natural enemies are insects that will feed on parts of the plant that are below ground in the roots. So, these are going to be insects like larvae or some kind of worm. She specifically talks about like larvae, like larvae eating the roots of the plant and how that affects. Um, the plant itself and then other insects that are um, interacting with the plant. And then plant defenses. What are plant defenses?
0: Um, Plant defenses, my definition that I would give off the top of my head are basically ways that a plant is able to prevent itself from being damaged Mm -hmm. since plants can't exactly get up and run away when there's a predator. So examples of plant defenses that I can think of would be toxins. Mm-hmm. So if you eat the plant, you end up getting sick, so mm-hmm. you're not as likely to try to eat the plant again. Or um there's certain plants that carnivorous mm-hmm. where the plant is actually the thing that's going to eat insects. Mm-hmm. So like a Venus flytrap. Um am I getting in the in the realm of what yeah. the definition would be? Yeah,
1: you're You're right on the
0: money. Okay, awesome.
1: So plant defenses are any way that plants um, can change themselves in response to insects, feeding on it, landing on it, using it. And a few examples are structural barriers, which are things such as thorns or hairs, anything that makes it difficult for the insect to like physically interact with the plant, like walk on it. Chemical toxins, like you said, and these are compounds that can make insects sick or just like taste bad, be undesirable somehow. And then recruiting predatory bodyguards. And this is when plants will make themselves more desirable to a predator insect to get rid of the prey insects. And for example, um, they will, flowers can increase the floral output or increase their floral smell to attract more predator insects, such as wasps and bees to eat the prey insects. Okay, that makes sense. Um,
0: Also, if listeners are interested in learning more in depth about the plant aspect of these sorts of plant insect interactions, I can recommend a different podcast Mm -hmm. um, called In Defense of Plants. Uh, That one's a really good in-depth podcast Mm -hmm. about the plant side of the natural world Mm -hmm. that we don't typically get into over here. So not to send you away from our podcast, but, you know, once you're done listening to this episode, maybe if that's something that interests you, go and check that out.
1: Absolutely. And they would definitely be able to be uh, more in depth than we are. Mm -hmm. So I recommend it. I'm probably going to listen to it after. Why are you recommending it if you haven't listened to it? Well, okay, but like it sounds good. I will listen to it. Thank you for the recommendation. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so the last part of that big scary title we talked about in the beginning is herbivore behavior. And that is pretty much anything that an herbivore insect does with a plant, which includes eating it, resting on it, laying eggs on it, nesting in it, any way that they interact with the plant. So now that we've broken down that title, we can talk about the real substance of the talk and the paper. But first I want to give credit to the amazing speaker at the seminar. Um, Her name was Dr. Angel Helms from the Texas A&M University. And she just gave like a wonderful talk for, I'm really happy that this was my first seminar because she was just, she was very good at talking and very articulate, but also good at explaining things to someone who might be like an outsider and isn't very familiar with it. And also her vis- her visuals were really good too, like on her, for her presentation. So disappointed I didn't get to go. I know.
0: It was really good. I'm excited for you to get into explaining the the meat of the, well, or the plants, I suppose. <laughs> the vegetables of the, vegetables. the talk.
1: actually. Actually, we are going oh. to talk, we are going to talk a lot about vegetables. All right, let's get into it. So she categorized her talk into three different types of behavior uh, that Helms lab studied over a series of different experiments. Um, the first ex- experiment she talked about involves zucchini plants, cucumber beetles, both larvae and adult, so in two different life cy- stages of their life cycle, mm-hmm. and squash bugs. And in this experiment, they exposed zucchini plant roots to cucumber beetle larvae and allowed them to eat at the roots. And they then exposed each plant to adult cucumber beetles and adult squash bugs. So they have these like little mesh cages Mm -hmm. that they have the insects and plants in. And each insect is allowed to make their choice as to whether they want to go to treated plant with the larvae in the roots or to a new plant that doesn't have larvae in it. And it is believed that this is because the plant begins some kind of defense mechanism when the larvae in the soil start eating at the roots and the entire plant um, has a reaction that other insects above ground on the leaves can pick up on and avoid. And basically this means that her experiment showed that insects can tell when other insects are occupying a plant, even if they're not physically like on the top of the plant that they can see, and typically avoid the plant based on like the different smells that it gives off and um, the different defense systems that are um, started in the plant because of the roots being eaten, basically. That's interesting. This
0: mm-hmm. sounds like Um, The experimental design is pretty similar to some mechanisms that I've seen in my own lab, so Mm -hmm. I suppose this must be pretty common in chemical ecology research spaces, but um, it's pretty common to have insects provided with basically two or more chambers where they make Mm -hmm. some sort of choice based on chemical signals that uh, they are choosing between. Mm -hmm. Um, I know one that we've that my lab has put out involved uh, male bees choosing between a live and dead female in two different chambers.
1: Please, please tell me they picked the live one.
0: Yeah, they can tell. Okay. They can okay. tell when it's alive. Like oh. they they seek out the live female.
1: That's actually a good segue into um, the next part of the talk. Oh, wonderful! Okay. <laughs> so, uh, the next type of behavior is. Prey insects being able to detect predators. And this one's kind of interesting because they use the predators, but not exactly in the way that you would expect. So in this experiment, they examined the influence of odors emitted by entomopathogenic nematodes. Sorry, that's a big word.
0: Entomopathogenic nematodes. So we actually yes. talked about entomopathogenic
1: Fungi in our Last of Us episode, yes. if you remember. Yes. Same kind of process. Mm-hmm. The nematodes live inside of a host and then eventually out of it <laughs> once it's dead.
0: Uh, have you seen Alien? Yes. Okay. When the, like... The chestburster. Yes!
1: Ugh, it's so <laughs>
0: gross. That's what I'm picturing. Um, yep. Can you clarify for us what a nematode is? Because I have an image in my mind and I'm not sure if it's exactly Correct.
1: Um, they're like very tiny white worms, or at least that's what they look like. I don't know if that's like, if they're actually scientifically considered a worm, but they're like, they're little itty bitty tiny white worms. Are they flat
0: worms, worms, or is that something different?
1: I don't believe they're flat worms, just because they don't look very flat. (laughs) All right. Like they, but again, I'm not, I'm not 100%. I would need to be fact checked.
0: Yeah, once again, not experts. We just like bugs. Yes.
1: So, entomopathogenic nematodes are a pre- a predator of insect herbivores. So, um, Helm's lab is studying this interaction. And first, they inve- infected larval cadavers um, with nematodes, which has a very specific blend of volatile compounds. Mm-hmm. And um, earlier, we said that insects can pick up on um, smells that we can't. Mm-hmm. But this one, um, even Dr. Helms said that, like, you can smell, like, the dead nematodes. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a running joke in the lab to shut the door. Like, you're working with a nematode, shut the door. It smells horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, I believe ants are
0: also pretty good at uh, determining when... There are dead ants in their colony, and they will remove them. Can
1: can we go on a tangent? Oh, of course, okay. go ahead. So I don't remember who the researcher is, but there was an entomologist, I believe, in like maybe the sixties or the seventies, studying this exact thing. Is it
0: the guy who drew with them? Yes. Like okay. Drew with them,
1: <laughs> but um, I think what he what I remembered specifically was he finally discovered the compound that. Smells like dead ants. He mm-hmm. basically found dead ant smell. And then he put it on an alive ant and then put that alive ant back into the colony. And the colony thought it was dead and carried it out even though it's clearly alive and is squirming around. Yes, I remember yes. learning
0: about this in the... Um, Introduction. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, it's, it's such a fun story. It um, is. Yeah, the dead ant smell. I bet the pink panther likes that one.
1: The pink panther? da 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 Okay, we need to work in a dad joke every episode because that was really good. Yep, doing my best. Okay, okay. so then uh, back to what we were actually talking about. Uh, they infected uh, larval cadavers with these nematodes. And then same as before, there is a treated plant with the infected nematode or the nematode infected cadaver and a control plant with nothing. And the insects are allowed to choose. This time, the insect that was used was the Colorado potato beetle, which is apparently a rather shy insect. Like if they can smell or sense other things, they'll like run away immediately. Well, I guess maybe other insects aren't as fearful. They're pests, but I think they're quite pretty. They are pretty. They're like a they're an interesting red color, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like a reddish orange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then the Colorado potato beetles also significantly avoided the treated plants, even though the worm smell and the predators were um, underground. They ate less of the leaves and laid fewer eggs on it. So showing, I guess, two different types of deference, like they don't want to eat it, they don't want to lay lay eggs on it, and essentially the insects can smell or detect um, the dead insects with the parasites in it and avoid the plant entirely to avoid the predators, and um, it's also speculated that the plants produce more defense compounds when exposed to the entomopathogenic nematodes, specifically salicylic, yep salicylic, yeah. acid. salicylic acid and jasmonic acid and so dr helms believes that these two factors working together probably lead to the avoidant behavior in the colorado potato beetles that's so interesting it is really interesting
0: yeah i've definitely um i haven't worked directly with colorado potato beetles but i've seen other people work yeah. on them uh like borrowing our lab equipment um mm-hmm. And they definitely do seem kind of shy. And I always yeah. feel sorry for them when they're getting like pinned down to the microscope Aww. and they're still
1: crawling and scrolling around. Let me go. He doesn't want to be under the camera. He's camera shy. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> so this is the last section of her talk, which is plant responses from insect neighbors. And this deals with interplant communication or when different plants that are next to each other or in close proximity can communicate via chemical signals um, that are given off. So for this experiment, the researchers allowed for salt marsh caterpillars to feed on plants, allowing the plant to release its defense volatiles. Then the damaged plant is exposed to a normal plant. And this time they actually found two different results. So they compared the salt marsh caterpillar eating the plant and then exposed three different types of insects to those plants. I believe two of them were beetles and then one of them was the salt marsh caterpillar. And the two beetle, the two types of beetles avoided the plant heavily. But then the plant with the salt marsh caterpillars, they wanted to eat on it more it decreased it somehow decreased the plant defenses in the neighboring plant but only for salt marsh caterpillars interesting so they decreased their defenses which led to the insects feeding on the more exposed plants huh mm-hmm. it's kind of the opposite of what you would expect yeah exactly
0: hmm. and, that's really
1: interesting and I, I just keep saying hmm, hmm, hmm. Hmm. well it's okay because i do the same thing when you do your episodes
0: yeah, I'm starting to feel like Miss Piggy when she's like, Hmm,
1: hmm. <laughs> Kermy. Kermy. I can't do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's Marge Simpson.
0: No, That's Sempton. not even Marge Simpson. No. That's Carl Weezer.
1: Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> so, also, apparently these salt marsh Caterpillars, she called them puppy dog caterpillars. Aww. Because they just, like, they'll just eat anything and... They can be handled really well, like their spines and hairs aren't uh, harmful to human touch, so you can like pick them up and pet them, and Aww. they're just like, they <laughs> like to be handled. We love pettable
0: insects. I love pettable
1: insects. Mm-hmm. They are my favorite. The fuzzy wuzzies. So, uh, to sum up, chemical cues and how they affect insect behavior are a very studied and fascinating phenomenon, and I find the I find them very interesting because there are so many different insects that have to respond to so many different smells, and the possibilities of how it all affects behavior um, are essentially endless. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity to go to the seminar, and big thank you to speaker Angel Helms for doing such a fantastic talk.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's all we have for you today. So thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Totally Buggin'. You can support Totally Buggin' by following us on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes with your friends. We can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for updates, episode previews, and additional content. You can also message us on those sites to request episode topics. Our website is currently under construction, but it will be back up soon. Thank you.